Hello there. This is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to the Doctor's Watcher, the time and space visualizer recap podcast about every episode of Doctor Who. That's what we're hoping for. Get us that, get us that sweet, sweet time and space visualizer content, Kyle. Indeed, time and space visualizers are the main source of entertainment these days. Yes, absolutely. So this is, I'm never quite sure if I should mention this like in our opening bit or once we get into things, but of course this is a new serial, so we have a different writer than Uh our previous serial. And this serial was written by Terry Nation. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, like, okay, on the one hand, I'm like, yay, Terry Nation. On the other hand, like, as we're probably about to get to with the uh, Cliff Dangler, <laughs> maybe not the biggest surprise there. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, we we definitely know and remember Terry Nation. Yes. I. He's I will the one, the one Doctor Who writer that I can <laughs> consistently remember. <laughs> uh huh. I will take this moment to remind us and our listeners that he wrote not only both of the Dalek-related serials that we've seen so far, but he also wrote The Keys of Marinus. Interesting. That's a uh, is that some foreshadowing there, Kyle? Matilda, don't scratch the carpet. Ah, oh, Kyle's pretending he didn't hear by talking to I see, I see. <laughs> well, uh, wink's as good as a nod, Kyle. <laughs> Indeed. Well, whether that was a nod or a wink, should we get into it? <laughs> yes, let's do it. So as I mentioned a minute ago, this is episode 30 of season two, The Executioners. I mean, that's a good start. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that Terry Nation is pretty consistent about is good episode titles. Yes, it's true. It's true. And that last serial, which wasn't Terry Nation, but the, uh, the, the Space Museum one also had several quite good titles. Yeah, it really did too. Yeah. Um, speaking of the last one that was not the that was not Terry Nation, would you remind us what the Cliff Dangler was? So I don't think we've done one word Cliff Danglers before, have we, Kyle? Um, but with your permission, I would like to do a one word Cliff Dangler, <laughs> and that word is Daleks. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> so we get the the Cliff Dangler scene, and. Then we get a brief shot of the TARDIS superimposed over, you know, some black and white, timey, spacey, lava lampy, special effecty stuff. Uh, is this new? Not the stuff that we normally get? Um, It's similar to like the opening title sequence. It's kind of like in that genre, but we've never actually quite seen this before. And like the... The TARDIS itself is, you know, kind of a, a cutout in front of this timey wimey, spacey wacy special effects. And <laughs> could like this the, be the space and time visualizer? What was that? <laughs> Once again, I can't tell if you're serious. Could, no, I actually didn't quite hear you. Could the space and time visualizer? The so okay, so listeners, it's been two weeks. So in the space museum, in the previous uh, serial. Uh, as you'll recall, the doctor found a time and space visualizer on display there. And since the Steve Jobses were just going to junk most of the displays anyway, the doctor decided to install it on the TARDIS, try to repair it, and bring it with them. Um, and we've, we've never seen it in action yet, though. So I'm wondering Indeed. if this new effect could be related. Um, I think what this effect is is actually showing us the TARDIS traveling through time and space, which we've never really actually seen before interesting okay yeah i dig it like you know we've seen it dematerialize and we've seen it rematerialize and we've seen them like you know on the tardis while it travels Mm -hmm. 
you know, in like interior shots, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time we actually see like an exterior shot of the TARDIS traveling through time and space. If that's what this effect is. Excellent. I love it. I love this stuff, Kyle. It's, it's so good. Yeah. So we see this effect and we see like the, you know, title and written by credit of the episode. Mm-hmm. And we are introduced to the soundtrack of this serial, which is this like, great sort of frantic piano jazz. <laughs> uh, that's right. So, so listeners try to, try to imagine if you will, what great frantic piano jazz sounds like. <laughs> we cut to an interior of the TARDIS and the doctor is indeed working on a large device. Cool. It is taller than he is and it's basically this like giant metal ring with or maybe donut would be a better description giant metal donut that's taller than him it's got like various different like parts and sections and whatnot of the donut ring very cool and on the inside of, of the ring sort of like you know around the the edge of what where the donut hole would be there are several knobs and dials that are all labeled with the names of planets in our solar system. Okay, cool. And in the very center, like filling the donut hole, is a screen, like a TV screen, basically. And it's turned off. Cool. I mean, I would hope that this device would work for planets and other solar bodies outside of our solar system as well but uh, also it's quite a coincidence that the device that they found on some completely alien world just happened to be labeled for the soul solar system right um, but sure why not <laughs> maybe maybe the doctor had to con- had to configure it or something Oh yes, that of course, and of course he he configured it for Ian and Barbara just uh, right as a, as as a good host. And the doctor, I think I said that he's working on it. You know, he's like tinkering and messing about with it. Vicky is whistling, which annoys the doctor. She asks him like if she can help, basically, but he doesn't have anything that she can help with. Mm-hmm. And so she just continues to whistle, which annoys him even more. And he sends her into the other room while grumbling and groaning and, you know, tinkering away at this device. (laughs) Uh, We love the doctor. She goes into the next room and finds Ian, who is reclining in a chair, reading a book called Monsters from Outer Space. Oh, man. Ian, can I read it when you're done with it, please? <laughs> yeah, totally. I I thought it sounded pretty entertaining. She asks if it's any good. Yeah, it's a bit far-fetched. <laughs> I love I love that that's his response. Uh-huh. That, 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 that got to pop out of me. She actually starts reading over his shoulder. She doesn't want to wait until he's done. And then she, like, leans onto his shoulder to get a better look at the page. And of course this obviously annoys Ian. She's doing like the annoying uh, younger sister thing right now. Yeah, totally. So she heads into the next room and finds Barbara and basically complains to Barbara about being useless. Oh, that's kind of a shame that that's what she's uh, taking out of that as opposed to like complaining about how the doctor and Ian aren't letting her join in the activities that they're doing. Yeah. Barbara, though, is nice, of course, and okay. invites Vicky to like sit down and talk for a while. Barbara is so great. I know, yeah. I feel like we say similar things all the time. I don't know if we've ever just sat down and like really appreciated Barbara. But yeah, she, she was great with Susan as well. And uh, Yeah, it's true. She was like 
the only one who is consistently good with Susan and with Vicky. Yeah. So yeah, she's like working on a sewing project basically and invites Vicky to sit down and chat. So Vicky sits on the edge of one of the TARDIS's weird like lounge chair thingies. Cool. But I guess like sitting on the very end of it, like unbalances it basically and tips it up and spills a tray of tea and stuff all over the sewing project that Barbara was working on. Terry Nation, I, I kind of feel like you're uh, you're leading somewhere with this. Yeah. And, you know, to make it even worse for Vicky, apparently Barbara's sewing project was a dress for Vicky. <laughs> oh. oh, sad. About this time, the sound designers realize that it's been a few serials since the web planet, so maybe it's time to introduce another annoying noise. <laughs> uh, just as long as it's not more beeping. It is, in fact, not beeping or whooping this time. It's <laughs> a whine. Oh, that's going to be worse. <laughs> It's pretty obviously coming from the doctor's big device. Everyone comes rushing into the doctor's room complaining about it, and he turns it down and explains what happened. An unfortunate juxtaposition of the sonic rectifier, the lineal amplifier. Oh, of course, I should have known. Don't you just hate it when that happens? Yeah, totally. When I was getting set up to record earlier... My sonic rectifier got unfortunately juxtaposed with the lineal amplifier for a moment as well. I was going to ask if that's what that was, because, uh, I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, I'm glad I got that sorted out. <laughs> and so are you, listeners. Trust us. <laughs> this device that he's been working on is, of course, the space-time visualizer that he got from the Space Museum of the previous serial. Uh-huh, and, which we're all very excited about. Right. Barbara asks again what it does, and the Doctor actually refrains from saying it visualizes time and space. <laughs> Converts neutrons of light energy into electrical impulses. I mean, why give a simple explanation when you could say that instead? Uh-huh. <laughs> Ian starts getting sarcastic about this explanation and, you know, <laughs> the lack of context and whatever. Yep. So the doctor actually starts explaining things further and Vicky actually like joins in and finishes the explanation. Basically, due to Vanderhoff's law, anything that ever happened anywhere in the universe is recorded in light neutrons. I, I do like it when Vicky gets to know about this, like, time yeah. stuff, though. That's always cool. Yeah, she's from, what, like the 25th or 26th century or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool that she knows about some cool sci fi technologies. I'm glad the writers remember that. Well done, Terry. <laughs> uh huh. And yeah, apparently this machine converts those neutrons that record everything that happens into electrical impulses. So like in Barbara's words, basically, it's like a time television. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. This is, this is, I know we've had some pretty great technology on this show, but yeah, that's, uh, that's up there. The doctor tells Ian to think of a historical event and give him the time and place so ian does 19th of november 1863 a place pennsylvania usa good don't go away so what, what what was the the month again uh 19th of november in 1863 Ugh. i'm sure all of our history fans who listen to our podcast know exactly <laughs> what's happening here yeah, I mean, I feel like it's got to be some Civil War event, but I, I can't think of which one. The doctor starts fiddling with the machine, and the annoying whine starts up for a few moments, and then the doctor quiets it down again. And then we see an actor dressed as Abraham Lincoln, but for some reason not wearing a top hat, appear on the screen of the device 
and he's giving a speech. That's, that's what I asked for. Betty's Burger address. address. Yes. <laughs> I wonder how that, we're going to cut that in because I was talking over you, Kyle. My apologies. Uh, <laughs> uh, well. Uh, for the Sorry. listeners, <laughs> in case that edit was weird, Benny guessed the Gettysburg Address as as, as he you announced would, it. Kyle had already said it. <laughs> uh, excellent. We get like probably a roughly a minute or so of the Gettysburg Address. I'll drop a short clip in here. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We've come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that that nation might live. And then Barbara wants a turn. So you said that we had a, an actor dressed as Abraham Lincoln without the stovepipe hat. How, how do you dress like Abraham Lincoln without the stovepipe hat? I mean, <laughs> other than that, it's just a, a white guy with dark hair with like a beard and no mustache, right? <laughs> like, that's, that was that's, pretty much it. Uh, he had like an old tiny like suit. All oh, right, all right, but yeah, yeah. Without the hat, it's it's just not a Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, I will say that his American accent. I'm assuming it was a British actor, but his American accent was was pretty decent. Oh, cool. It wasn't great, but it was decent. <laughs> I'm glad to hear Abraham Lincoln's American accent was pretty good. <laughs> the doctor confers with Barbara for a moment, and then he gives her like a disc or a cartridge type thing that she inserts into the time-space visualizer, and then... The doctor flips a few more switches, and the image on the screen changes. It's Queen Elizabeth I! Do we get to see her? Yeah, we do. Excellent. Yeah, we we cut to her, and we actually, in like basically all the stuff that they watch on the time-space visualizer, we start with like a shot of the time-space visualizer itself, and like the image that they're seeing on the screen... But then, like, we cut into the actual scene itself. Cool. So, Queen Elizabeth is having an audience with two men that we quickly learn to be Sir Francis Bacon and William Shakespeare. Oh, very cool. Shakespeare is super nervous about this audience with the Queen as Bacon is, like, bringing him into it. And... As soon as they get in, the queen gets right down to business. Apparently, Sir John Oldcastle is pretty pissed off that the character Falstaff is so obviously a parody of him. <laughs> but, like, as soon as Shakespeare admits to the queen that, like, this is actually the case, Falstaff is a parody of Oldcastle, she's delighted. <laughs> Good. Give it no more thought. We found it very amusing. Oh. Tell me, have you any plans to write a further play on him? Excellent. Which which then I believe becomes the Merry Wives of Windsor, if I uh, recall my Shakespeare. I think that's right. I'm not like a huge Shakespeare scholar, but I think that's right. All right, uh, listeners, audience, uh, Go ahead and write to us and tell us what the actual play was, because uh, I think there's probably a pretty decent chance I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he actually tells the Queen that he does not have further plans for Falstaff, but she says that she has an idea for him. You shall write a play of Falstaff in love. <laughs> does not that fire your imagination? Oh. And if it doesn't... It better start because <laughs> uh -huh. we're the queen yo <laughs> that that's that's how the queen spoke of course uh yeah totally always referring to herself in the third person <laughs> yeah apparently queen elizabeth ships falstaff it, <laughs> it doesn't even matter with who she just ships him that's right as bacon and shakespeare leave the leave the room Bacon also has an idea for him. The history of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. But Shakespeare doesn't like it. 
<laughs> I assure you, my lord, it would not be quite in my style. <laughs> Come on, Denmark, we're in England. Who cares about Denmark? <laughs> uh-huh. Hamlet, like, what a weird name. No, no one would go see a play about a guy named Hamlet. <laughs> so it sounds like a small village dish made out of ham. <laughs> <laughs> so they part ways. Bacon calls Shakespeare a scribbler under his breath. And Shakespeare starts thinking about Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Actually, that's not so bad. We cut back to the TARDIS, where it's Vicky's turn now. So she also puts like a cartridge or disc or whatever into the machine. And we start hearing the voice of a BBC announcer. And when Barbara asks Vicky what year it's from, Vicky says it's 1965, which, of course, is contemporary with this episode. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> and the announcer finishes what he's announcing, which is the music that has started to play, which is the Beatles. Oh, man, that is pretty cool. We actually get some Beatles on Doctor Who. Yeah, totally. So the TARDIS crew all watches this performance of Ticket to Ride until somebody accidentally bumps the time-space visualizer and they lose the picture and the Doctor makes a joke about squashing his favorite beetle. <laughs> wow. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I mean, who knows how the licensing worked out for that, but I wasn't expecting to see the Beatles on Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the licensing. There are a couple notable things about this scene, actually. It is notable first because this particular performance by the Beatles actually only survives in Doctor Who. That's so cool. Yeah, which is it's both Doctor cool Who performance of the Beatles. <laughs> uh-huh. It's cool and ironic given like how much of Doctor Who from this era is lost. That's true. Good point. Uh, yeah, ironic that like it's the only way that this Beatles performance survives. But this scene is also notable because apparently because of licensing bullshit, this scene has actually been cut from this episode in all the DVD and other releases outside of the UK and Australia. Huh. So, uh, Kyle, uh, how, how, how did you... <laughs> how did ye watch this episode, matey? <laughs> well, it's interesting because, as you know, <laughs> I watch each episode twice. Mm-hmm. And... When I watch, when I do my notes watch, it's often like several weeks after I've done the fun watch. And in this case, when I did the fun watch of this episode on BritBox, I could swear to you that this scene was in it and I saw this scene. But then when I did the notes watch several weeks later, it just cuts from the Shakespeare scene to like what's going to happen next completely skipping over the Beatles scene. So, so it just looks know. like Vicky doesn't get a turn. <laughs> yeah, that is literally what happens when Vicky <laughs> Sorry, doesn't Vicky. get a turn. So I don't know if like BritBox wasn't supposed to have it earlier and then like caught their mistake and edited it in the time in between. Maybe like I'm the only one who watches Doctor Who on BritBox, so like they just didn't notice until I did my fun watch. I will say I... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, something tells me you're probably not the only person watching Doctor Who on BritBox. <laughs> I will say that if you do want to see this scene, which I do recommend for historical purposes, if nothing else, and also because the Beatles are great, you can find this episode on unofficial non-licensed sites 
And here on the Doctor's Watcher, we do not endorse illegal behavior. I guess the I listeners mean, can't hear me winking right now. I was about to say, we also kind of don't <laughs> not endorse it. <laughs> so they watch the Beatles. They accidentally bump the TV or the TSV and lose the picture. And then the TARDIS starts to beep. So the Doctor turns the TSV off because he says they're about to materialize. Cool. I checked the time code at this point in the episode, which I also did at the start of Abraham Lincoln. And I realized that we've spent about like five or six minutes of this episode watching our characters watch TV. Well, to be fair, it was historically relevant and significant moments. So true. That's pretty cool. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. The doctor says that everything seems safe outside. They've materialized now. The gravity here is a bit higher than Earth, but it's all safe and fine. So they all head out of the TARDIS to see what's up, and they find themselves in the middle of a hot desert, sand in all directions, two suns in the sky. Somewhere in the distance, like on the horizon, a Jawa sand crawler goes by. Uh-huh. They actually do see, like, some strange statues or something in the distance and on the horizon. It is unclear what they are. They are, you know, we basically see, like, dark shapes against light sand. They are kind of vaguely humanoid-shaped, and they're also, like, pretty blobby. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And but so, they do so seem definitely not salt and pepper shaker shaped, is what you're saying? It, yeah, definitely not salt and pepper shaked. Shape. Okay. okay, salt. That's a tongue twister. Definitely <laughs> not salt and pepper shaker shaped. I think I got all gotcha. the words there. Yes, and they're not moving. Like they do seem to be statues. They're not moving at all. Okay. Vicky wants to go exploring, but Barbara doesn't think there's anything to explore. Just miles and miles of sand. There's strange things. Well, we could go explore those strange things. Uh-huh. And, you know, Vicky says you never know. There could be, like, a space station or something just on the other side of that hill over there. <laughs> sure, why not? And so she rushes off. Ian goes following after her, but... Not before the doctor gives him a TARDIS magnet. Watch that little green light in there. Yeah. And don't drop it, otherwise you'll get lost. Huh. Okay. So the TARDIS magnet, like, always leads you back to the TARDIS? I think so, yeah. And we've had these the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> doctor just never mentioned it before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually could have come in real useful when they were trying to find the TARDIS, like, in the Space Museum, for example. Yeah. Vicky leads Ian up the hill. Turns out there's not a space station on the other side of it. But they do observe one of the weird statue things from a bit closer of a distance. Cool. Vicky thinks it looks like it's made of frozen seaweed, and Ian thinks it smells funny. Oh, man, that, that's very cool. Yeah. How did frozen seaweed get into a desert... And I like I like this the weird smell too because it's like kind of disconcerting, kind of strange. Uh -huh. It has almost a cosmic horror type feel to it. This strange statue where it shouldn't be, and it smells odd. 
Right. Um, and I, I always like also just in, in general, I think I said this before in, in TV where people will mention like smells of things, which of course we as the audience don't have access to yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's cool. Vicky's foot slips on something. So, you know, she bends down to check it out. And of course, in the black and white standard definition film of this episode that we're watching, it was pretty hard to really see what it was, but it looked slimy, maybe. Hmm. And Ian thinks it smells terrible. Well, at least it's not a pool of acid. <laughs> uh, well, you're all out of ties there, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> they can see a trail of this stuff leading away. So, of course, they decide to follow it. And as they leave the area, the camera lingers behind long enough for us to see a long tentacle come out of the sand. Yes, good stuff. Terry Nation, you know you know what the audience is here for. Uh-huh. Weird, stinky statues and tentacles. Tentacles in the desert. Yes. We cut to just outside of the TARDIS where the doctor and Barbara are both laying in the sun, relaxing. <laughs> Hopefully with some sunscreen on. Uh-huh. And the annoying whine starts up again. But it turns out it's just the doctor singing to himself. <laughs> <laughs> but then the actual annoying whine starts up again, and Barbara comments on it, and the doctor's like, We've got pardon, awful noise, is there a way to talk about my singing? And she's like, No, Doctor, not that awful noise. The other one. Listen to it. <laughs> uh, this, this is starting to feel to me like a very classic Doctor Who joke. <laughs> <laughs> Feels very much in line with the Doctor Who sense of humor. Yeah, definitely. The Doctor listens for a moment, and he thinks that it sounds like the time-space visualizer is still on. So he asks Barbara to go turn it off for him, and... She heads into the TARDIS to check it out. Inside the TARDIS, she starts pressing buttons and flipping switches on the TSV, but instead of turning off, it starts showing her Daleks. <laughs> oh, did you touch the wrong button there? <laughs> touch the Dalek button. Uh-huh. Apparently, one of the Daleks is about to give its report to another Dalek, so she calls for the doctor, and he comes rushing in, and they both get to hear the Dalek's report. Very convenient. Our time machine has been completed. The operation will proceed at once. The movement scanners have located the enemy time machine, TARDIS. Always always nice when you get to overhear your enemy, you know, talking about their plan to uh, come after you. Uh-huh. We learn from the Daleks that our protagonists are currently in the Cigarro Desert of the planet Aridius. Hmm. And we also learn that the Daleks are pretty pissed off about what happened in the Dalek occupation of Earth serial. <laughs> uh, I guess that's not surprising. Yeah. They will pay for their crime. Annihilate! 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 Annihilate. Wait a second. Annihilate? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that Dalek's uh, riffing a bit too much there, getting getting a little off script. <laughs> they were talking about extermination in the previous episode. Uh -huh. I mean, they weren't saying exterminate. I think they were saying exterminated. Exterminated, uh, yeah. Yeah. I did like that, you know, being British Daleks, they clearly pronounce the H in annihilate. <laughs> uh -huh. So apparently their plan is to basically chase our heroes through time and space. They must be destroyed! Exterminate them! 
Exterminate! 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 So, Kyle, is this the first time that the Daleks have said exactly exterminate, exterminate, exterminate? I do believe that it is, in fact. Ah, uh, well, you know... I think we have finally reached it. Horns, kazoos, confetti, fireworks, the whole, whole shebang. I wonder what the our fireworks clip will sound like when I drop it into my Dalek voice filter. <laughs> Dalek fireworks. <laughs> so several Daleks roll through the doors of their time machine, which is not nearly large enough on the outside to hold as many Daleks as rolled into it. <laughs> Very cool. And then it dematerializes. So what does the, the Dalek time machine look like? It is sort of like kind of two doors next to each other. And it's, you know, probably like a, a few feet deep. And like as the Daleks roll into the first door, there are like two doors, but they only use one of the two. And like as they roll into the first one, you can see that there's like another door like in the machine. So it's sort of like they roll kind of through the little like foyer or antechamber through a second cool. door into the, the time machine. Cool. So is it, is it like a little shed type of thing almost? It's sort of, yeah. It's... It's kind of hard to describe. It was almost really kind of just like a, a doorway, hmm. but, you know, like a, a few feet deep. And like, cool. it's kind of a, there's kind of an angle to it. The two doors are like kind of set at a little bit of an angle. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it was, it was kind of neat. So it dematerializes. Of course, Barbara and the doctor have watched this whole scene on the time space visualizer and the doctor is very concerned about the implications. <laughs> My machine can only pick up the things that happened in the past. Interesting. So let's jump to the far future and then take a quick look back. Because I can <laughs> see a lot more. Uh-huh. See if they ever caught us or not. Mm -hmm. Also with the way that time travel works, I mean, they could have left in the future. Right, yeah. Come back and get us in the present. But for all they know, the Daleks could potentially already be here on Aridius. Like, they don't necessarily know how long in the past this scene took place. And, you know, the Daleks have a time machine anyway, so mm -hmm. not sure it really matters how long in the past this took place or not. Yep. So they figure that they'd better get Ian and Vicky and GTFO. I mean, it's it is it's a little hard to run away from someone who has a time and space machine, but yeah, you gotta you, you can't just wait around either. So yeah, Vicky and Ian are pretty far away from the TARDIS at this point. They have followed this trail of slime stuff basically to the point where the trail just ends, and they. You know, they sit on the rocks there to rest for a few minutes and discuss how it's going to get dark soon because the two suns here move very quickly. Cool. They are about to start heading back to the TARDIS when Ian finds a big metal ring in the dirt. Um, it's like a, a handle, basically. Cool. Uh, very intriguing. He wants to pull it. And he almost does, but Vicky is worried at first because when she was a kid, there was a similar ring in the ground in a nearby field, and all the local kids had this superstition that if they pulled it, the drawbridge of the nearby castle would come down and something horrible would come out of the castle and like attack them all and whatever. Huh. I guess I guess Vicky used to live by a castle that had a drawbridge. Yeah, apparently so. Twenty uh, fifth century. Come back. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I I really want to see this like twenty fifth century castle with a drawbridge. Totally. I I hope we get to go to Vicky's home 
home place and home time sometime. Me too, and I hope the writers haven't forgotten about this detail by the time we get there. <laughs> uh huh. She does realize that this was just a kid's tale, you know, like the the ring and the field mm-hmm. being related to the drawbridge or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Ian goes ahead and pulls the ring out. And he pulls out, like, this metal rod out of the ground, basically. It's, like, a foot or two long. With, like, a ring on the end? Is that what's going on? Yeah, it's, like, a the ring itself is, like, a few inches around. It's, like, big enough to, like, grasp with your whole hand. Uh-huh. So he pulls this rod out of the ground and, like, makes some joke about it being Excalibur. And then just kind of, like, tosses it aside And the two of them get to their feet and start walking back in the direction they came. I'm sure that won't be significant in any way. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It's completely dark outside now. It was, like, fully light earlier, but, like, during the course of Vicky telling the story about the drawbridge and castle at her home, it went completely dark. It's full night. So they start heading back. But before they can get very far, they hear a creaking noise and they turn around and head back to the rocks and find that a trap door has opened up in the ground. Cool. I'm into it. Yeah. I hope they're also into it, meaning that they go into the trap door and find that one inside. (laughs) Apparently the ring that Ian pulled out of the ground was like a delayed reaction (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, there's probably like counterweights or... That's probably some, true, yeah. ...some kind of mechanism inside. Barbara and the doctor are calling for Ian and Vicky, but it's pretty clear that they're not being heard, and Vicky and Ian's tracks have all been blown away in the wind, which has been, like, picking up at night, basically. Mm-hmm. Barbara suggests that... She and the doctor head back to the TARDIS, but they disagree on which direction that is to go back. Whoa. The doctor insists that he has the directional instincts of a homing pigeon, so <laughs> he leads the way. But, so who who had the TARDIS magnet again? Was that just Ian and Vicky? Yeah, Ian has it. Uh oh. Okay. Well, um, good luck, homing pigeon doctor. <laughs> uh huh. We cut back to Ian and Vicky, who are going into the trap door. Excellent. There I mean, are not, not, steps. not for them, but for us in the audience, <laughs> that's what we wanted. <laughs> uh huh. There are steps leading down, so they are taking the steps down, and they you know, get down into corridor area or whatever Mm -hmm. and start going a little ways down into it. And they look back toward the direction they came from in time to see a tentacle that is attached to a giant blobby slug creature reach up and close the trap door. Oh, whoa. Okay. Okay, cool. It, I will say that I'm pretty sure it was a slug creature. It was not very well lit, so it was kind of hard to see. But <laughs> well, it some, was definitely a blobby. Some space monster. Excellent. Uh-huh. I mean, whether it's entirely a slug or not, I, uh, as long as it's blobby, I think that we're, we're good. Blobby and with tentacles. Yes. Up on the surface... Now that the two suns have gone down and it's full night, it is freezing cold. Mm-hmm. And also there's a huge sandstorm happening. Mm-hmm. And Barbara and the doctor still disagree about which way to go to get back to the TARDIS. Before too long, they both just kind of like collapse into some rocks where they just hunker down and shelter for the night. Okay. We cut to morning. The two of them are covered in sand, and they find that the landscape is entirely different now. Oh, dang. It's changed. The whole landscape's changed. The TARDIS is gone. There's no sign of it. Oh, uh... 
Well, I'm glad we did establish that uh, that TARDIS magnet earlier, but um, I'll bet they're wishing that they had more than one at this point. Yeah, the Doctor figures that the TARDIS must be buried in the sand, but there's sand everywhere, so they don't know like where to start looking for it. Yeah. He actually starts reaching into his pocket for his TARDIS magnet and then remembers that he gave it to Ian. Uh-huh. He starts getting Barbara up and moving because the suns will be up soon and they have no shelter, food, or water. Dang. But he very quickly stops Barbara and like pushes her and himself back down because he sees something in the distance. The camera shows us what he sees, which is something coming up out of the sand. Is it blobby? It is not blobby, actually. Mm. First, there's like a dome top coming out of the sand. Oh, is that two lights on there? The are There are a couple of metal sticks that come up out of the sand, and one of them looks like a plunger. <laughs> Excellent. And yeah, before long... We clearly see that this is, in fact, a Dalek coming up out of the sand. And then we get a title card saying... Uh, not quite yet. Okay, the, okay sorry. <laughs> the Dalek is making some grumbly noises, like Dalek grumbly noises as it comes out of the sand. Mm, and then... Sand and skiers. As it fully surfaces, it says... I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Amazing. Amazing, Kyle. Oh, my goodness. And the words, next episode, the death of time, appear on screen. Oh, shit. Terry Nation, man, take a bow. <laughs> oh, we thought we thought the Executioners was good, but like, yeah, dang. Whew. Okay, so we've got we've got like some mysterious statues. We've got stinky um seaweed materials and slimy tra- trails and we've got uh, some kind of mysterious trap door leading into possibly a, some kind of ruin or secret passageway. We got blobby aliens with tentacles, and and on top of it all, <laughs> we got Daleks. I will say that the title of this serial as a whole is not the title of any of the episodes in the serial. And, in fact, I'm going to withhold the title of the serial for probably another episode or two. Interesting. Probably probably next episode I'll tell you what it is. Okay, okay. Well, sounds like it might be a slight spoiler then. Yeah, the, the serial title is a slight spoiler. Um, of course, the serial titles at this point are not like, well, they're kind of official, but they're not like officially official. Yeah. I guess the BBC does use them on like DVD and VHS releases and stuff. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's that's pretty official. That's official enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you told me once that in this era, all the uh, the individual episodes have, have titles, but then later on it just becomes like serial name episode one serial name episode two and stuff like that yeah i think we're still a ways away from that but that's <laughs> gonna happen at some point that's the thing with doctor who there's just so much of it <laughs> uh, okay um well i mean you know i think i think so far this episode hasn't really gripped me but maybe it gets better no, I'm just kidding. This is amazing. <laughs> I really want to know what happens next. Okay, I'm I'm into it. I, they, they they got me. <laughs> I, I, I did find myself wondering who the executioners were. I guess it's the Daleks. Huh. I mean, I guess but, it could be the blobby creatures. But, yeah, probably the Daleks because they're, yeah. they're trying to come after our guys. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Yeah, executioners is a great title, but it is slightly unclear. Yeah, but I'm into it. 
Yeah, we'll give it to him anyway. Yeah. Well, awesome. love it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, Come back in two weeks to find out if time survives its own death. <laughs> uh, now that's a that's a cliff dangler for you. All right, <laughs> listeners. See you then. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Benny. Kyle and I would like to thank Circuit 23 for our theme song. You can find its sweet, sweet tunes, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thank you to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who. And thank you, listener, for listening to me, listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. You can always chat with us by emailing the doctor's watcher at gmail.com or tweeting at Dr. Watcher. It always makes our day to see a new review on iTunes. And with that, please join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Exterminate! Exterminate! Exterminate!